Father in heaven, we're grateful for another day of ministry and spiritual food. And we're praying, Lord, that as we train uh, in terms of how to activate our churches for growth, that you would bless us, Lord, with the Holy Spirit and with power. We need your help. We need your guidance. And we need discernment to know how to implement the things that we learn in our own local uh, fields and settings. So please help us, Lord. Speak to us and abide with us throughout this session, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So uh, Mark was giving me the lowdown on what you guys have already covered. And uh, how many of you um, have been to most of these sessions? Tell the truth. You've been to most of these sessions. Okay, and how many of you are just kind of popping in? You're just kind of popping in. Okay, so we have a little of each. Um, the reason that's important is because, uh, is because there are some things that were shared earlier that you might not be familiar with that you might want. Um, so I used to work here in Michigan as personal ministries and evangelism director. And then now I'm at the general conference, but I basically work based on the same uh, ministry plan or philosophy. And the GROW model, which we uh, have been using in Michigan here for a number of years, is just a way of expressing the model of ministry that Jesus gave us. Church evaluation tools, yes. And uh, so this is the General Conference website um, that lays out the GROW model. But some of the things that, that personal ministries and Sabbath school tackle here are broader in sphere. Um, and you'll see that today because I'm going to be telling you about some things, such as department ministry plans for elders and deacons and that sort of thing. These... Um, are not necessarily under my sphere in the general conference, but here in Michigan, um, ever since we uh, started down this path of um, evaluating a strategy for growing our churches, we've included that. So it's not all on this website, but Cameron, can you tell me the Michigan website again? Michigan SSPM.org. So I think most, if not all, of the handouts will be on that site. And I'm going to share a couple things that they might not currently have on there, but that are on the General Conference site. So those are three personal ministries websites that are going to be valuable for you. Um, okay, so I just wanted to point out that Mark has already started going down this Grow Implementation Guide, how to grow your church in a very practical uh way in, in terms of how to implement it in your local church. And right now, I'm going to jump in sort of in the middle of this, and we're going to talk about training leaders. It's under functional church structure, if you happen to have this handout, and we're going to talk about training leaders. Um, and specifically, I am going to be talking about department planning department planning. And really, um, most churches plan as a, as a church board 
for their evangelistic strategy, and very few churches plan from the department level. Okay, so I'm going to explain to you how churches can strengthen their ministries by, by actually planning from the department level. So let's talk about department plans for a minute. You're, you're wanting to create a master plan of evangelism for your church. Um, every church should have a clear plan and strategy. And let me just, uh, let me just tell you that this is not something you should assume that your church has. Okay? You should not assume that your church has an evangelistic strategy. Many churches, and I mean many churches, as I left Michigan, I see it even more than I saw it when I was in Michigan. Many churches do evangelistic things, but they do not have an evangelistic strategy. They, and because they do not have a strategy, they don't know what they are, uh, what they are missing and what their ultimate goal is, and how to get there. They just do certain evangelistic things, and they hope for the best. Um, But even going down another layer, very few churches, even in Michigan, have department leaders who plan from the very department level their own evangelistic strategy. And this is what we are recommending, is that departments, every department should have an evangelistic plan and strategy that then rolls up into the church's master plan and strategy for evangelism. So let's talk for a minute about why departments should plan. Why do we even worry about planning from a department level? Give Give me a reason why we even do that. I mean, why... Would we not just have an overall strategy for the church? Why even plan at a department level? Okay, because without a vision, we fail. That's true. Okay, because everybody has to work together. I like that. Mm -hmm. All the information comes down and it stays together, and everybody gets the same thing. Okay, so everybody stays together and has gets the same thing. I hear some common threads in what you're saying. Yep. Okay. So what you're saying a little bit is that departments are going to do stuff anyway, but when they don't put it together on a plan, then nobody really knows what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we have, as a church, we have a mission, right? Right? Do we have a mission or do we have several missions? <laughs> we actually have one mission, and, uh, and that mission is found in Matthew 28, and you'll find it also in the church manual, and it is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching to observe all things that Jesus has commanded us. That mission has to be the same for every department. Um, I'll tell you, though, and I was just sharing at... Uh, we had at the General Conference a Nurture and Retention Committee with leaders from all over the world. Our, we, have, we have a Nurture and, nurture and Retention um, uh, Committee at the General Conference, and then we have asked every division of the World Church, all the 13 World Divisions, 
to also have a nurture and retention committee and each division to have a nurture and retention leader or director. And they all came along with the division presidents and officers to the general conference and we had a nurture and retention summit where the whole focus was on talking about nurture and retention. And are you going to interject something before I get there? Yes. Now, in the last session, which I did not share this with you yet, oh, okay. I told the class that you were working on this committee and you'd probably be talking about it. Oh. But Cameron was talking about the differences in the old and new wording of what the work of the board is. Yeah. Maybe you can leave a little of that. I know we had a discussion that you've been okay. from that standpoint mm -hmm. working of the church board. Yeah. So, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll bring that in to what we're talking about, because it very, it's very related, actually. So on this committee and at this summit, um, one of the things that I was able to do was just share a little bit about sort of the, the overarching goal of the summit and the focus on discipleship that we had. And one of the things that we had to uh, address right from the start is that in many churches, I would almost go so far as to say most of our churches, most of our people, believe that we kind of have two separate uh, missions, two separate um, goals when it comes to the work of the church. One is ministering to the community. We call that outreach. Okay, We call that outreach and we call that evangelism. And that is, uh, you know, very clearly seen in public evangelistic meetings and other things like that. Then we have ministry to the church. And that we refer to as inreach or nurture. Uh, and so we have these two separate uh, focal points for the church. This is not in the Bible. The Bible describes the mission of the church as one mission. And I believe that the mission of the church, when properly conducted, is the best way to grow the church numerically, and it is exactly the best way to grow the church spiritually. So that when we're carrying out the mission of the church, we are both uh, reaching the community and we're nurturing our own members. This is not, you know, we don't win souls in pockets. We win souls and then they are part of the continuum of the disciple-making process. So our job is to make disciples. That's the ultimate goal. And that is, is something that begins with first connecting with somebody that goes all the way to training that person to win souls and train other souls. So this is an ongoing process that the church is part of and it's one continuous mission, not two separate ones. And the problem is when we talk about discipleship, the word discipleship, how many of you think the word, think, hear the word discipleship and you think outreach? And how many of you hear the word discipleship and you think nurture? How many of you think outreach? How many of you think nurture? Okay, I, just, I should have said all that before I said what I first said. Because you know that discipleship has to be both, but, but, but when people hear it, there are different definitions that they have. So when we have in the church manual right now where we made a change at the last GC session about uh, you know, 
the church board, the first work of the board, it used to read something like the first work of the board is to is evangelism in, in all of its phases. Um, and it, it spoke specifically about the evangelistic <laughs> strategy and planning of the church. Now, it's a little confusing, to be quite honest. It starts by saying, uh, you know, that it should be discipleship. That's, that's having an active plan of discipleship. And then it says, which includes both evangelism and the nurture of existing members. Okay, that's good. I'm cool with that. But then underneath the work of the board, it has, number one, you know, have an active discipleship plan. Number two, evangelism in all its phases. Number three, uh, you know, a, a plan of discipling new members. And if that's, if all of that is in evangelism in all of its phases, then you don't need it listed in separate places. So we almost confuse the matter by by both combining it and then in other places we break it out. The point for us to know is that there is only one mission. And when we think of it that way, then we do not say things like this. You know what? I think this church, we're not ready for evangelism. We need two or three years of working through some issues and and growing the church members and just focusing on spiritual growth before we get serious about evangelism. We're not ready for that. You won't say that. Do you know why? Because you can't grow spiritually if you're not engaging the people in evangelism. It's impossible. In fact, Ellen White makes a statement, and it may have been shared already, but it's absolutely powerful, where she says that... Uh, uh, pastors should teach church members that in order to grow in spirituality, they must carry the burden that the Lord has laid upon them, the burden of leading souls into the truth. So if we want to grow spiritually, we have to carry the burden of leading souls into the truth. So as a church, if you want your members to grow spiritually, you can't leave out, you can't separate evangelistic outreach from nurture of the existing members. Um, So, when we talk about department planning, we need to recognize that every department is, has the same end goal. It's not that some are nurture and some are outreach. It's as separate goals. They may have a different, uh, a different emphasis, okay, that, that plays into the overall cycle of evangelism, but they're all aimed toward the same end goal. And when we, when we recognize that, then our department planning will ultimately all be feeding toward winning souls. Um, somebody in the back is texting me while I'm teaching. <laughs> anyway, so, and I'm not going to mention who it is. Because, no, because I'm staying at his house and it would just be... Just be awkward. <laughs> so, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a couple of different departments that are, you know, we don't necessarily always think of them as evangelistic departments or the things that they do as evangelistic, but we need to understand how they fit into the overall mission of making disciples. Okay, so I've had some things passed out to you, and I'm just going to highlight a couple of these. One is for elders and the other is for deacons. So what I want to do is take a moment and explain what can be done with these department plans. 
every department should meet with the people in that department to develop their strategy and plan. And this has been simplified from when I was here um, to where it simply has the responsibilities of the plan and then on the back it has your action plan. It's actually very simple, but we're going to talk about why uh, we need to not oversimplify it. If you look at the back, on the bottom of the back of both of these sheets, what does it say? The very bottom. Scheduled department meeting dates. Now you'll notice we have elders here and we have deacons. There's, there's one of these that is being developed for every department. We have them for most every department, but um, they're being redesigned, so some of them will be coming later. But they all have that on the bottom, scheduled department meeting dates. Now, why would you need to meet as a department, especially the deacons? Why in the world would the deacons have to meet, really? No, but they are on the same page, because the head deacon does that schedule thing, and it has all their names, and it has the date that they have to collect the offering and the dates that they are going to be involved in communion. So as long as they have that sheet, why do they need to meet? To discuss soul winning and discipleship. <laughs> it's not the whole job. Well, how do we know it's not the whole job? Because we have the Bible? We have the church manual? Yes? Oh, we ha I mean, now we have a deacon handbook to boot. I'm only saying this because my, my assistant deacon and I were just talking as we were going to the store. Oh, boy. Uh, we, uh, he said if he was going by the deacon handbook, <laughs> he should not be a deacon. Oh, is that what he said? <laughs> the guidelines of a deacon and deaconess is so in-depth as far as responsibilities in the church, mm -hmm. that he is not as a deacon, or what we are doing as a deacon in our church, and uh -huh. are not meeting those requirements. Are you the head deacon? No, I am but you're, just a regular deacon. You're a deacon and he's a deacon. He's the uh, assistant. He's the assistant head deacon. Okay. Well, I'll let you guys work that out. <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, what you're sharing right now, because I'm, I'm, I'm picking up what you're laying down. So this idea of, of deacons meeting, um, really the only reason you need to meet is if you actually have uh, a desire to do more than what you're doing. And so who would want to do more than what they're doing? Right? So this is the, this is the mindset that we have to change in our churches which is, we are not, as Christians, just trying to do the minimum to get by. That's not what we're trying to do. We have a mission. So you heard what I said in the beginning, that every department has the same mission. How do you define the word mission? Well, that is our mission, make disciples, but what is a mission? It's a purpose. It's a goal. Um, it... it, it, it Yes, it's a goal and a purpose, but it almost, mission has this sense of almost also incorporating the, the mode as well. Like, like you, you not only have a purpose, but you have, uh, you have, uh, you have a mission. <laughs> it's one of those words that doesn't have a synonym. Uh, everything that you do, is driven by your mission. 
So if this is true, and if the departments have the same overall mission as the church, then you have to ask yourself the question. If the mission is to make disciples, then the deacons have to ask themselves, how are we, how are we fitting into the overall mission? What are we doing to contribute to the mission? And if they come to the conclusion that an accurate schedule of collecting the offering is not sufficient to what they could be doing, then they will have to meet. They'll have to get together. And they'll have to talk about it. Let me tell you something else that happens. At nominating committee time, uh, how many of you have ever gotten a call at nominating committee time? Okay, and you get somebody on the phone, and they say, hi, uh, we're calling from nominating committee, and you say, I'm sorry, there's a disc, uh, I can't go in here. No, you immediately listen, you're ready to hear what they have for you, and they tell you that they want you to be an elder, they want you to be a deacon, they want you to be a personal ministries leader, only the select few. And when they do, one of the first questions that's asked, if you ever serve on a nominating committee, okay, well, what is involved in that? What, what, what do I need to do? And, you know, the, after that, what happens becomes a little fuzzy. Some people communicate very well, others not very well. There are some books that the Michigan Conference puts out that has some responsibilities. There's obviously responsibilities in the church manual that maybe are not quite as specific to your local context, but you can find some things that would say. But what people really think they are signing up for is not what you tell them. Let me just be clear about this. It's not what you say to them. It's not what's in the church manual. It's not what's in the Michigan Blue Book. You know what it is? It's what the people who are in the church currently do in that position that they think they're signing up for. So you can tell them, oh, well, you can read it in the Blue Book or whatever. And here's, here, I'll, I'll email you, I'll hand you this list, this PDF page that has this list of responsibilities. But what they're really doing is looking at the deacons that are currently serving in the church and, and they're learning from them what it is that's involved in being a deacon. That's what they end up doing. Now, one of the things that that causes is a whole list of things that are responsibilities in almost every, every office in the church that are never done. They're never done. And nobody is meeting to plan to get them done either because our departments are not planning. They're just doing you know, the minimum that they need to do as a general rule. The church board kind of plans events and things for the overall evangelistic strategy, but the departments are not necessarily planning. They might have a conversation here or there, but there's not planning going on. So what you're doing here is you're actually changing the entire your paradigm shift for your church. You are changing the concept of what it means to be part of a department ministry. It's a ministry, and we are going to evaluate as a church and as a department how we are accomplishing the responsibilities, first and foremost, that we've been given. So let me give you some for instances. Let's start with deacons. Deacons on this list, I've got it right here, uh, there has to be a schedule to ensure that all responsibilities are met. Most churches make sure that that happens because that's the only way. Because really, the minimum in a church, which is often what churches do, is making sure that the church service operates. So anything related to the church service usually gets done. 
So there's a schedule to make sure that communion is properly taken care of, and there's a schedule to make sure that offerings are properly taken care of, and that's uh, always, as a general rule, taken care of. Ensure opening and closing of the facility for church services and events. This is a necessity, so it tends to happen. Restock and tidy items in the church pews. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Ensure the collection of the offerings each Sabbath. Again, part of the regular services, and so it usually happens. Prepare and assist at baptismal services and communion the same. Provide and or supervise church custodial work. Okay, so now this is getting a little outside of the church service, and sometimes it works well and sometimes it doesn't. Ensure the maintenance of church grounds. Ensure regular maintenance and repair of church facilities. How many of you have that going on by your deacons? Okay, praise the Lord. Most churches that I have served in do not have regular maintenance. They have what you call uh, emergency maintenance. Okay? There may be a couple of things that they know about ahead of time that they know is coming, the roof, uh, whatever. But as a general rule, there's not maintenance. So in a larger church, like a church and a school type of setup, you might need your deacons. Okay, your deacons are looking at this and they, oh, we're supposed to make sure that we maintain. Well, we need somebody to be going through and checking on a regular basis. We need a list of maintenance items that we make sure somebody is doing. Okay, do your deacons have that? Are they doing that? Are there certain deacons assigned to certain aspects of that? Some to the grounds, some to the school, some to the church building. Um, this is just simple planning of what they're asked to do, and I would say eight to nine out of ten churches don't ever do it. So make it a part of what your church does. And does this actually contribute to the mission of the church? How does it contribute to the mission of the church? You can't function without it. But beyond that, your church is kind of a curb appeal. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. What you, the appearance of your church says a lot about the message of your church. Um, Ellen White, I mean, if you, you want to have some fun reading, go read what she says about uh, the dress of ministers and the effect that it has on people's reception to the truth. How people see you has an immediate uh, impact on how they are going to receive everything that you offer them. So this is true of the physical plant as well. It is a very critical part. But most of our churches do not plan for it. And then, of course, provide visitation. Did you know that this is part of the deacon's responsibility? For the sick, poor, unfortunate, shut-ins, and in some cases, the general membership. I, you know, Before I dive into the deacons here, um, I think I'll talk about visitation with the elders. I want to talk about visitation with the elders. Um, because you'll notice in the elders, it says down about two-thirds of the way, Visit or contact each member or family how often? At least once a year. So that's what it says on this. This is, this is the guidelines that Michigan Conference is recommending, is that every family... Now that sounds... You know, How many of your churches have, in this last year, do you feel, have the elders visited all the members in that year? Okay? Do you think... Why do you think that is? Don't want to. Don't know about it. Oh, I think it's Pastor John. Um, yes, very much. There's true that the members 
begin to look at the pastor's, uh, how do I want to say, the pastor's visit is not is worth more than the elder's visit. <laughs> but that needs to be totally re, uh, re-communicated because the pastor cannot be responsible for all the things that the elders do and the things that he is asked by God to do. So there needs to be a delegation responsibility. This doesn't mean that this takes away from the pastoral visitation. But elders can visit everybody in a year. And yet that cannot happen unless they plan it. Right? Now, when you mention they might not know about it, all elders know they're supposed to visit. Okay? They know it. But they don't necessarily do it if nobody, none of the other elders are doing it and if there's not a clear plan to do it. So what do we mean by a clear plan? Let me just say this. When you don't plan things in your church or in your life, they do not happen. Okay? So in your church, the level of detail of planning you have will greatly determine how much actually happens. So let's say the elders get together and they discuss, let's, let's make our action plan. We're going to make our department ministry plan. And they decide, okay, we're, need, we're going to, figure out a plan for how we're going to visit everyone once a year. Okay, How would you think that they might plan to do that? Can you think of anything that you would put down as an action plan? Yes? Ah, okay. So you could divide your church. Some people call it uh, parishes or whatever, but you have the whole church. So let's say you have 10 elders and your church has 100 families you would divide the whole church and you would have each elder assigned 10 families, right? Okay, that's good. Now, let's do this. Let's say there's 120 families. So that each elder gets 12 families. Okay, how often would they have to visit in order to visit their 12 families in one year? Once a month. <laughs> now, when you break it down like that, does it sound difficult? It really doesn't. But most elders, just like the rest of us, when you start talking about visiting all the members or whatever, they just get overwhelmed. But if you plan it and you and you organize for it, then they can do it. Then you need to do something else. You need to plan how you're going to visit. Because sometimes the elders aren't sure what to do on a visit. So the reason they're not visiting is because they don't know what they're supposed to do when they go visit. So there needs to be a plan, okay? This is going to be a 30-minute visit. These visits are not social gatherings. This is the elder visiting with a spiritual visit, like a pastoral visit. So the elder will visit. The elder will, you know, ask you know, start in a very casual way, asking about the family and what have you. You might have, you know, five to ten minutes of just breaking the ice. Then asking if they have anything to uh, that they need prayer for. Asking them how they're doing in their own family, in their own spiritual life. I recommend that elders take a, uh, a book that they can share with the visit so that it gives them sort of a... Uh, you know, 
semi read not that you need a reason, but it gives them something tangible that they're taking with them. I used to give my elders, uh, you know, thoughts from the Mount of Blessing or Christ Object Lessons or Steps of Christ, a nice version of it. And I would say, when you make visits, go and take this to the home and encourage them to read it. So you take it, you encourage them, you ask them, how are things going with your own spiritual life? How about family worship? Is that something that you know you want any help in or need some materials or resources for? Okay. Um, you know, and then what things do you need prayer for? You listen to them, ask what things you need prayer for. Then you pray for the family. You make sure that you get any kids who are in back rooms or whatever to all come into the living room and you pray for each one of them by name. And then you thank them and you go. And you can get to your next visit in a, generally about 15 minutes or so. So you can schedule two visits in the evening, no problem. If you happen to have to take two per month, you can still get them both done in one evening. You can take your wife with you. Uh, you can take you know, a deacon with you. In some cases, another elder may want to share the load and go with you. But ultimately, it's not, you know, you need a plan for, yes, we're going to do this every you know, frequency, but then you need a plan for the elders so they know what they're going to do. Right? My point is, we might have thought, well, you tell them how frequently and then we're done. Because that's easy. They can do that. But we sometimes forget, well, the plan is not over yet because they don't know what they're doing. And then, some, in some cases, I would tell my elders, if they weren't doing it, I would say, bring your calendar to the next elders meeting. And when we got to the elders meeting, we would find out when they were going, everybody, you know, look at your next month and let's decide when you're going to make your visit this month and plan it right there. Get it on their calendar and, and explain to them that, you know, there's only, you know, it'll always, something else will always come up if we don't put it in our calendar. So we need to make sure we put this in our calendar. This is the, the mindset of planning is that planning is when you actually really plan to do something. Um, some people develop something that loosely resembles a plan, but they don't really plan to do it. It's, it's, it's theoretical. And so we need our planning to go down to the very level of getting stuff done. There has to be accountability in our churches. There has to be action in our churches. You know, and, and why is, how do these member visits contribute to the mission? How do member visits contribute to the mission? Yes. Member retention. Okay, so there's one way is that if, if you're, if the mission is to make disciples and, and have those who continue on in your church, uh, you know, you're not doing too well if the members are not you know, feeling connected, and they're leaving out the back door. Okay, I saw another hand over here. Where was it? Somebody have a hand up over here? Okay. What was that? Nurturing your members, okay? And nurturing your members, again, contributes. The other thing is, whenever you go anywhere, you are always speaking up the mission. So when you're visiting with members, you're also talking about the mission. And, you know, how, you know things are going in their own involvement in the ministry of the church and in their own personal witnessing in their own life. These are things that the elder can actually engage in conversation with the members about. So when you see a list, let me just say it this way. When you see a list of 20 things 
One of the things that can happen when somebody makes plans is they write a paragraph of plans and that paragraph of plans actually does not check all the things. You understand what I'm saying? So, oh, we're going to do this. Da, 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 da. This happens all the time with... Uh, this happens all the time with this. This is, this is one of the main reasons that we break down evangelistic planning into five phases. Because if you don't do this, and even if you do, churches develop evangelistic plans, they're very busy, but when you look at it closely, you find that they're only doing this and this and maybe a little of this. You understand what I mean? But when you have it broken down, then they have to ask themselves, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? What am I doing here, here, and here? We are so much more careful in our personal lives and oftentimes in our work life and our jobs than we are in the church when it comes to the mission and ministry of the church. And so this helps us to be responsible. This helps us to be careful. We should, when we're making these plans, deacons and elders, be going through each item. Okay, so we're done with our plan. Let's go through it again and make sure that we've covered everything. That we've got a plan and we're going to be able to accomplish everything. Item one, item two, item three. Go down. Yep, okay, we've got a plan for everything. And then each department, if they actually plan evangelistic events, they can put those events into a calendar. That's what this cardstock one is, is a calendar of events. It's very simple. It has just the date and the event. Now, why do the departments do this? In part, so that they're thinking for themselves, what are the major things that we are going to be planning together for the year? But in part, because they're going to submit this, and each department will submit it, and then the church board will evaluate the combination of all the events from all the departments and what's going to happen when all the events from all the departments get added together. It's actually going to become, in most cases, will often become um, too aggressive, more, more than you can do. There'll be things that are happening on top of other things, that sort of thing. And so once you get everything together, then together you decide where you can pare down. Or in some cases, we've got nothing going on all summer. <laughs> you know, we could, we could do something there. Or you, and you can fill in. But you, you pull them all together and then you develop your master plan from that. So... I have a question about discipline. Should I bring up now? Discipline? <laughs> That's a different class, but go ahead. I'll, I'm ready to hear. Um, question was, so say somebody was step, asked to step down from put, from a position. Position. Mm -hmm. Handled not the right way. Nobody ever followed up to visit to see how the person was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, should I go and speak to the elders? I've already spoken to the pastor mm -hmm. two or three times. Went nowhere. Mm -hmm. I bring it to the elders, I've spoken to them individually, and they keep promising me that they're going to bring it up in their meeting, and then it's been two years. Yeah. Um, it's not an easy situation when the pastor is not responding to a situation like that. Um, the elders, you know, 
they are going to, in a, any type of disciplinary type of thing, they're going to defer to the pastor. Um, and so the only thing that I would say, if the pastor has not given you a firm, hey, I'm not dealing with this, but is just seems negligent to deal with it, then I would keep on the pastor. Um, and I think, you know, what we're talking about with developing plans from all the way down to the department level is something that most churches don't do. And what that means is that a lot of our church officers are not really engaged in a lot of the things that are part of their job responsibilities. So there needs to be a level of, um, while we are calling to a new level of involvement, there needs to be a great level of um, patience. And uh, uh, you don't want to be um, perceived as a taskmaster, you know, and right from the shoot and not sympathizing with people's situations and, and schedules and all that. But that's why you bring them on board. That's why when you're talking about it, like when I dealt with uh, elder visitation, I would get the elders together. I would ask them how to plan. Okay, so how are we going to visit all the family? Okay, we'll do, oh, okay, we divide that number by that number. Oh, okay, well, that's this many visits a month. How do you all feel about that? Is that something? Yeah, like if they themselves have said, yes, that's something we can do, then it's a lot better than if you say, this is what I want you to do. Even if you feel like it's reasonable, that's still not going to be, uh, you're not going to be able to come back in the same way as if they themselves have bought into it and actually been part of the process. So that's what makes the planning so important. And then, you know, you need to, you need to meet again. So what is on the back of this plan when it says scheduled department meeting dates, elders, you know, they can meet no less than quarterly, but they can meet monthly, every other month or quarterly. Um, deacons, same thing. I would say deacons can meet quarterly. And if nothing else, they get together and ask themselves, how are we doing with the plan that we talked about? And actually assess. And the other thing that meetings do is meetings create a little bit of a... they. they they stir up people's pure minds. Okay, yeah, I need, to, I need to do that. I need to do that. Or they, you know, they're just a little bit of accountability. And in the church, we have so little accountability. I mean, it's, it's sad, really. I mean, compared to what we experience in all of our other organizational relationships, from family to work to you name it. The church, we're so afraid to upset anyone. And so, as long as they are breathing, we are... You pray. I mean, it's, it's really sad. We actually, with our young people, it's the same thing. You know, if they come to church and are sitting in the pew, we are feeling like, you know, that is the height of success. We need to have a totally different outlook on what we're trying to create. We're trying to make disciples. And this is a... This is a, a different level, okay, than what we are allowing ourselves to settle for. And we shouldn't allow ourselves to settle for it in our own uh, ministry involvement, and we shouldn't allow that in our church ministry involvement. Um, our churches need to have a level of accountability. Yes. 
Um, Rich. You're talking about going back to elders' visitation. Mm -hmm. and is that members or attending members or you know the inactive ones or the ones that? Yeah, this this is speaking of members, okay, on here because that's um, certainly the um, the minimum, but um, but we haven't even gotten into elders' involvement in uh, evangelistic activity. Um, our elders and yeah, notice it says encourage personal truth-sharing labor among the members. It also says, guide and encourage members in growing in their personal relationship with Jesus by strengthening the habits of personal Bible study, prayer, and family worship. Um, you have these uh, things that the elders are to be encouraging other people in, um, so they themselves need to you know, evaluate their own lives in the same way. And if they're encouraging the members to be sharing their faith, then they want to exercise that themselves. And so I always encourage the elders to be involved in interest visitation. Tomorrow we're going to talk about interests, okay? The reason we need interests, the development of interests, how to coordinate interests. How many of your churches have an interest coordinator? Okay, that's going by the wayside. Do you know why we have so few interest coordinators? <laughs> because we don't have a lot of interests. And interests are the life, the heartbeat of your church. If your church is not, does not have a driving goal to get interests, then it's not really involved in the mission of the church. I'm going to say it, um, you know, a little bit boldly there, but I think that we need to understand that is what is missing in many of our churches. We're not actually trying to get interest. And what is an interest? Interest is somebody who's interested in spiritual things, somebody that we've either developed an interest or we've discovered that they're interested. Those are the, the precursors to those who receive the truth and are baptized and become disciples. So the starting point is interests. And we've got to be active in interests. And so if elders are really focused on the mission of the church, then they're not just going to be focused on visiting the existing membership they are going to have in mind a burden for the growth of the church, which would involve some visitation of interest. It could be in connection with evangelistic meetings. It could be in connection with your Bible study ministry. It could be in connection with uh, your children's ministries. It could be in connection with, uh, you know, your school. There's all sorts of avenues by which you can get interests. But the bottom line is, Yes, elders can be involved in that as well and should be. I had one elder who, when I talked to the elders about Bible studies, by the way, I have a Bible study burden, okay? I'm one of those crazy people who thinks that just about any member can give a Bible study. Um, if you look back at our history, we had what were called Bible readings. And the reason that the church got so excited about Bible readings, you know, and some of you have heard of Bible readings for the home circle, which is a bunch of question and Bible answer studies. The reason that our church got so excited about this was because here was a way of spreading the truth that wasn't dependent upon the ministers. That church members could simply have these readings with people who were, you know, 
unaware of the truth, and they could read the question, read the answer in the Bible, and have this full topical study of the truth with, you know, and members could do it. And when, uh, when Stephen Haskell invited people to a training, he said, for this Bible Reading Institute, it was a 10-day training, he said, whether you're old or young, whether your head is sprinkled with gray, you are none too old to read the scriptures and to tell what God has done for you. Now, can I think just about any member can read the scriptures and tell what God has done for them. That's, that was his point. So I'm one of those crazy people. Okay? Now, I don't, you know, people move in stages and levels, and I'm not telling everybody they have to go right out in this moment, but I'm telling you that anybody with a little bit of training and a little bit of preparation pretty much can give a Bible study. And that being the case, I encourage my elders to give a Bible study. Yeah, what time is it? Is it up or is it over? Oh, it's only over about two minutes. So I'll give you, give, give you three. So this idea of, of elders giving Bible studies, one of my elders wasn't really crazy about the idea. He said, Pastor, I think you're going to need to find another group of people in the church who are not so busy because the elders... They're chosen as elders because they're professionals who are involved in lots of things outside of the church. Plus, in church, they're serving on different committees. They're asked to do this, that, and the other. And so you might need to get a different group of people to give the Bible studies. And I said, well, maybe I have another idea. What if we just took some of your responsibilities away from you, and then you could give Bible studies? Because quite honestly, I have a greater need in the church for people who are willing to give Bible studies than people who are willing to stand up on the platform on Sabbath morning. That's the truth. And who else would you want to give up? I mean, elders, why do we choose elders to be elders? They have experience, discernment, right? They can teach, right? Who else would you want to be giving Bible studies? So I tell him, hey, I, I do the old Stephen Haskell thing. He told farmers who didn't want to share their faith because they, were too, they had too many acres. He said, sell off 40 acres or so. That's what he told them. So I tell the elders, look, back off. You know, we'll take you out of this position, take you off this committee, whatever, as long as you say, yes, I'll, I'll give one Bible study a week. There's no reason why we can, elders cannot be engaged in other things besides just visiting the members. So these are all part of a plan of action that every department works on together, and they roll it together then, and that's how you develop a master plan of evangelism that's all focused on the mission. Now, next session in about 10 minutes, we're going to talk about the master plan of evangelism, and I'm going to walk you through what that looks like and how you can now plan as a whole to um, make sure that you're covering all the bases in your evangelistic strategy. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time we've had together, and I pray that you would bless the remainder of our afternoon as we seek to uh, just wrap up the concept of a church planning and strategizing in a practical way that will make sure that the mission is carried out according to your will. So bless us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.